0: what can you just for someone that can you set the scene for me
1: like for someone that never
2: been the here? scene
0: where we explain it and then what we're looking
1: at and where we are we're on the corner no no that's too much information for your radio station way too much i'm gonna tell them they're gonna know where we are like <laughs> that's
0: a given i'm just asking you to say it no i'm not gonna say it okay well
1: I'm not we're at king eddie's what does it look like? Just say where you're looking. He's like. off the hook. There are people standing out in front. If you go inside, there's going to be a, a bouncer. You know what I'm saying? He regulates pretty good. Then there are going to be some people at the bar. You're going to see a couple cute white girls. You're going to see a couple cute black girls. You're going to see a couple cute Hispanic girls. And you're going to, you know what I'm saying? You're going to get your swag on. You walk up in there, and then automatically, you know what I'm saying? You're gonna, all eyes are on you because you got that 100% swag going anyway, right? You sit down, you know, you order a drink, right? You order the lady next to you a drink. You know what I'm saying? You know, you have a discussion, you take her out on the dance floor, and you dance with her when nobody else is dancing in the whole bar, right? You make her feel like a lady for a little while, and she doesn't even have to be that attractive. And then they're all going to start like, wow, you know, this guy is just like, you know, but it's with this guy, you know? And they're going to want to have that vibe. And they're gonna gather around and they're gonna start, you know, there's a science to it too. There's everything that you can imagine up in there. Everything that you want, you know? You want a girl, you know what I'm saying? You want whatever you want. You want some bud, whatever you want up in there. But it's, you know, it's just like any other place down here on Skid Row. That's what this place consists of, It's disease and drugs and alcohol and poverty yeah an outside giant insane asylum that's what it is the devil's dead that's where you're at you got a lot of balls
3: From Radiotopia, you're listening to Love & Radio, I'm Nick VanderKolk. Today's episode, Another Planet, featuring Clyde Casey.
4: Downtown L.A., back in the later 80s, there was a lot of cardboard condos where people slept on the street, a lot of missions. A lot of these people were in a revolving door of dependency upon the handout. It's tough. And in the middle of all that, there was the wholesale district, green wholesale district, and then on the other side was somewhat of an avant-garde art community that was beginning to form downtown. And where we were at was at Wall and Boyd Street, the Wall and Boyd Theater. Scott Killman was the director of the Boyd Street Theater. Hit it off with Scott. At the time, I was living in my car, and he invited me to stay in the theater. One night, they had some kind of production going on, and the security guard didn't show up. They needed somebody out there to keep an eye on things and watch over uh, the cars coming in. And and These cars were coming in from the outskirts of L.A., I said, uh, sure, but can I perform while I'm doing that? And he said, Oh, you can do anything you want. Just keep an eye on everything out there. I said, Sure, not a problem. What am I doing? Sometimes there would be someone in the area who would try to bring in a little bit of negative into the area, some kind of a confrontation or really being ugly with people, and. All of a sudden, it's like, uh, I was going to have to deal with it. All right.
1: Um, can,
0: you just, can you just do an introduction for me?
5: Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, hi, I'm Tim Robbins. Uh, but you want to put it yeah, in I mean, context? It be, yeah, like ID or however you want to be ID. Hi, I'm Tim Robbins. I was uh, a writer and director at the Wallenboy Theater in the 80s.
0: Cool. Do, do you know, like, how Casey became a fixture of that scene and sort of, like...
5: You know I really I don't. I, all I know is that when we arrived at the Wallen Boyd, Casey was there. And you would wonder, you know, and I oftentimes wondered, well, what would happen if there was an actual altercation? The guy's not the biggest dude in the world, and I'm not aware of any kind of secret martial arts training that he has.
4: Theater had closed for the evening. It was around
6: one o'clock in the morning and everything was real quiet. I'll witness this. Casey is just doing his job, you know. There were these two guys. They were coming from opposite directions, and one guy was really wasted on wine. You know, I mean he was really drunk. And the other guy was kind of I don't know what it was, crystal meth or uh, cocaine, I don't know what it was, but he was really hyper, you know, and he was jumping around, and the guy who was drunk kind of stumbles over to him and reaches out his hand. This guy came up to me and asked me for a dollar. The other guy, he reaches in his pocket, pulls out a knife, trying to attack him.
4: And then that's when I would just, like, back out of a situation and uh, do something different. Do something
6: Casey, he would—he had a military uniform. He had boots, uh, military boots, a beret, and he had sort of a military belt and holsters. And where a policeman would have a gun or a nightstick or, or something, on one side he had horn, like those bicycle horns that you squeeze and it goes whack. On the other side, he had a phone, this was before cell phones, really, so it was a portable phone, it didn't work really, I mean, just if you punched it, it would ring. First he hit the horn, you know, these two guys, these two guys look up, you know, they both kind of, whoa, you know, what is this? And then the phone rings.
4: Uh, I have a telephone call coming in, maybe I should answer it, huh? Pull uh,
2: the
6: antenna out, in case he answers it. Hello? Oh, yeah, okay, uh-huh, yeah.
4: It's for you, man. Oh, it's uh, it's long distance. It's for you. I'd say it's for you. It's collect. It's
6: collect. Do it. Do what? Do what? And he has the phone to the guy now who has the, the knife call. out.
4: Really, it was a long distance collect call from the planet Yuma, home of the Yumites. You might not. The
6: guy just looks at him like. Oh, what? And you walk towards him with antennas coming out of the glasses. You honk the horn. You buzz the buzzer. It's for you. He looked down at the ground. He looked at himself. He looked at the guy, the drunk guy, and he just started laughing.
4: More than anything, to dissuade the negative from the area,
6: was my harmonica. And the guy's saying, no, 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 no. Get away from me, man, get away from me, you know? You know, and these two guys looked at each other. The drunk guy says, so hey man, can you spare me a quarter, you know? And the other guy just shook his head and kind of went off down the street, you know? And if anybody was
4: getting in the face of somebody or giving me a hard time, I'd, you know, i just play sounds, different sound effects. sound effects I carry with me now are a little bit different. You know, this right here. And just being abstract and surreal really worked. I figure, well, so this was an avant-garde theater. So I guess that makes me Dun, 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 dun. The Avant Guardian. I had my bicycle, and I would uh, pedal around, and uh,
6: a bird on my shoulder. Casey had a little uh, cockatiel named Casera that would ride around on his shoulder, you know. Casera. Later on, I
4: wound up putting non-toxic food coloring on her, and I called her a cockapunk attackatil. <laughs> And as the Avant-Guardian evolved, I went over into the Korean Wholesale District and started getting a lot of little goofy little things like uh, a spring-loaded Nerf gun, a fly shooter, a little accordion. And so when people would pull up to the theater, I started uh, saying, you're well-protected now. The The Avant-Guardian, trained by Barney Fife. He used humor as a weapon, in a way. It's things that either provoke a laughter or provoke a curiosity, but the bottom line is that it does alter the mood for that brief moment in time. And that's all life is, made up of moments, you know. was able to, in a very real situation, use the power of surrealism to make a person turn around their way of thinking. It worked. It worked numerous times.
5: The plays we were doing at the Wallenboy were satires. What we were doing on stage, Casey was doing on the street. He was there to be the ring of surreal protection around us.
0: And like, what what would he do? Like, what was sort of his role as the avant gardian, but as as the security guard in a sense? Well,
5: he was. I, I think his role was to make sure the folks that came down there in BMWs stayed down there because you you roll up to the theater and you thought you think, oh, this is a dangerous neighborhood full of thieves and I'm gonna turn around and go and your date's going well I don't know don't we, why don't we see the actors gang and, no 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 honey uh, not uh, down here and then Casey rolls up in his bike this bizarre looking dude and, and he's like hey guys how you doing you can park right over here I'll be watching the cars through the whole show and then you go on your date goes oh it'll be okay And so then everything's fine Casey was there to make everything okay that's what he was there for. A booga booga. He was creating
6: his own surrealistic world. That eventually evolved into something much <laughs> bigger than that.
4: That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Arrest me for impersonating a human being. I need to be given at least 12 years in Leavenworth, 11 years in 12 worth, five to 10 in Woolworths. Hey, put me in Woolworths. <laughs>
1: Now get out of here! <laughs>
4: don't disturb the monkeys. <laughs> Unless
7: you got bananas. You want change?
4: Oh, I don't have any change. That, no, but I got. I got what I think I got. Yeah, there you go. Come on. Come on. Okay. Because of the wholesale district. I'd wind up getting harmonicas for uh, such a cheap price. I'd always have them with me and, you know, you're always getting approached for change and stuff. So I would give them a harmonica and then I'd have change inside of the harmonica and I'd have a little note. I felt better from the heart. I always believe you give an energy to receive an energy. You know, whatever you put out will come back to you.
0: You know he's just gonna use it to get high.
4: Yeah, he'll put some weed on, one of the holes, you know, and light it up. Probably be able to suck in on a G note.
2: (laughs) I gotta say, man, it's a harsh world. (laughs) This area is not conducive to people helping each other. If people helped each other then misery and the depression wouldn't be prevalent like it is. It's dog, eat dog. Don't bother me. Go get out you damn self. If I walk down the street and somebody say, hey, man, I ain't seen you in a while. Come on, let's go get a drink. I say, oh, man, I don't need a drink right now. People kind of look at you strange. You yeah. Like I say, it's an accepted thing that we're all in the same boat, and boats are drifted sea. We're not worrying about getting the land, <laughs> you know.
0: One day, Casey was standing in front of the Wallenboy Theater and looked across the street at the abandoned gas station. It had gone out of business long ago. It was on a corner lot, just a little building with an awning, decaying in a grim neighborhood. Standing there, staring at this gas station, Casey had a vision.
4: It just looked separate from everything else that was around here. It was a corner spot, and it was all it just separate. And when I looked at that property and the structure that was on it, I was seeing that this would be another planet. There was a six-dimensional, six-dimensional, six
6: Beyond that which is known to man, it was almost like a, a mind creation. It is an area as vast as space. In other words, it was a it was a, a thought brought to life in in physical reality. And as timeless as infinity. It was an amazing place, and as it it is a middle ground progressed, it was almost as if between light and shadow, somebody drew a circle around this. Place. It lies between the pit of man's fears. Uh, the service and station. In the sunlight of his knowledge. Not somebody, but something. It's, almost, it's always very difficult to. It is a dimension of imagination to describe it. But it is a of within the circle, it is an area that might be known. Of this place, the rules were just completely different. As another planet.
7: Yeah,
0: could you sort of describe for someone who had never seen it, like, what was it like to go there? What did it look like?
7: Well, it was like a triangular lot, a little gas station, an old gas station. Old gas station. No gas things, you know, but the building. And he decorated it, and there were things on the roof and sculptures. and.
4: The whole environment was very real, but it was very surreal.
7: Oh, my God, he had so much stuff. He had mannequins up on the roof.
4: All kinds of mannequins and womankins. They have a presence.
7: People would give him stuff and he'd set it up. I'm a huge collector of cosmic debris. Whatever he could have access to or ask for or somebody would give him, he'd make art out of.
4: Sculptures and very abstract art.
7: It, it was just flotsam and jetsam and a lot of people around. He had seats. He
4: had like a stage and people doing rap, telling stories and stuff like that. Somebody
7: gave him a piano.
4: There was always people playing the piano and singing around it.
7: And some of those musicians were really good, some of those guys. He had a TV set.
4: And I faced it towards the street. In
7: um, which he could show films, he showed movies, old movies.
4: And I was donated a film called Coina Scotsy. And it's a Godfrey Reggio film. It's still my favorite film of all time. No actors, no words spoken. Uh, Philip Glass does the sound score. Ron Fricky did the film footage. And I showed it every sunset. Koyaanaskachi means life out of balance. And in the downtown area, that's exactly what was going on. It was pretty much a life out of balance. Another planet was an environment that was kind of bringing a little bit of a balance to the area.
7: It was another planet. I think he might even come from another planet. He might... Clyde Clyde Casey I do believe he lived there somewhere up up on top
0: he he slept on the roof
7: yeah he did
4: so people from the surrounding area started coming by it was meant for everybody but it turns out that the homeless latched onto it in a very quick way and I pretty much let it be known that, you know, make yourself at home. You can't camp out here, but it's open 48 hours a day, days a week. Welcome visitors, small planets, and no shirt, no shoes, no problem. So come in and make yourself at home, and, and I served coffee for a dime on a silver platter. Kind of like a little bit of that southern hospitality, because originally I'm from Memphis. And I was just transplanting it into the gritty industrial downtown uh, environment. So you're walking down the sidewalk and, hey, there's things to do. I had a big ping-pong table.
7: Oh, and he had chess games, chess sets up.
4: Chess is the closest game to life. Whether I win or lose is not the point. I just love it.
7: But Another Planet just was there. It was just that corner, which had life. Downtown didn't have a lot of life at that time.
4: And Another Planet wasn't meant specifically for... The homeless. It was meant for the neighborhood.
2: You know, there was always something going on, something to do. It just so happens, that neighborhood was mainly the homeless. With the planet, it was like going home. Maybe not at your own home, but at your neighbor's house. You know what I'm saying? Anybody can go sit in the mission. But sitting in the mission was like going to your pastor's house to a degree. For most people, missions are a place of last resort. You know, in mission, you had to conform and stand in line, have proper attire, not be under the influence in any way, and have to deal with people who are basically hostile. Okay. So you've got conditions that you have to minimally Prepare yourself for before you even get there. And that can be difficult, especially if a person has any form of mental problems. And the majority of the people in this area, myself included, should have been on some form of medication. And they weren't. As the planet, there was no actual hostilities. Okay, and you knew that before you went there. So you could go there as you were and be accepted and welcomed. Okay.
6: Hundreds and hundreds of people would be there every night. It was an oasis for homeless people. And and for a lot of people. For me it was. I mean, I was not homeless, but as it attracted more and more attention, it became problematic. The local businesses were getting more and more upset and they were putting pressure on the city. And on one hand, Casey received a commendation from the mayor of LA, you know. On the other hand, there were these constant barrage of complaints about what are these, you know, let's get this thing out of here, you know.
4: In May of 1989, I thought I'd go surprise my mother for Mother's Day, and she's in Memphis. I didn't have the money to go there, and I thought, well, I'd just hitchhike quickest way to hitchhike is juggling, especially with pins, bright orange pins. People can, you know, you can be seen, they look like you're uh, a clown who's escaped from the circus, and so they, they'll pick you up to take you back to the circus, you know. I had to leave the another planet in the hands of someone. There was this woman who, um, she was somewhat of a missionary, and she'd been helping a lot of the homeless on the street and actually living in her own little cardboard box and She was a real good help. And so I left it in her hands. But she didn't like all of the things that I had on the top of another planet, the mannequins and sculptures. And and, um, when I came back, all that stuff was gone. Her whole thing was getting uh, jobs and pretty much taking care of the business issue of people's lives more than the personal, emotional effect of people's lives. And that's what Another Planet was about. It had to do with uh, having a respite away from all of the chaos, the Koyaanisqatsi that was going on all around, the whole out of balance, you know, and Another Planet was there to bring balance. She just stripped the visual magnet just the art form and the form and design that, that I created there was just destroyed. It, uh, it was like somebody just ripped my soul away from me, you know. It's not like it, it was all for me. I mean, I fixed it up for everyone to appreciate. And everybody did, <laughs> except her. <laughs>
0: what I did didn't, you say to her when you, when you saw that?
4: said, you destroyed a good thing. I was invited to house it, an artist uh, studio, her studio and her turtles. She had these big turtles. I got a call like midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. I can't remember what time it was. Said that the place was on fire. Los Angeles Times, August 10th,
0: 1989. Another planet, an abandoned Skid Row gas station that had been converted to a shelter and cultural center for the homeless, was destroyed early Wednesday by a fire that eyewitnesses said was set by a transient who appeared to be mentally deranged.
4: Whew, man, that just threw me for a loop.
0: I got on my bicycle and pedaled over there. Fire officials said they were investigating reports that the fire was set on purpose.
4: Nobody got hurt, but um, people's possessions were destroyed. And so were mine. At least
0: 78 boxes containing property of homeless people went up in flames. Another planet's creator, Clyde Casey, sobbed as he surveyed the ruins Wednesday morning. The facility carried no insurance, Casey said. He was not optimistic that he would soon find another site, but promise that another planet will rise from the ashes.
4: You know, things happen. Things happen when you believe in something and you believe in it strong enough to where you know that it's necessary. It's necessary to have a 48 hour day, day a week environment and for it to have the feeling of what a person would expect on another planet. You would really want it to be, in many ways, representative of the best of what the third planet from the sun offers. People who are, you know, out on the street and living in dumpsters and hiding away from the enemy of the night, to have a place... That was like a little oasis, you know, a little, little island of tranquility was, you know, was, uh, cloud nine, you know, and, um, you just don't find that in any city, anywhere. You've got to pay for your seat. You've got to, you've got to, um, contribute something to be there. has to do with leaving the world as we know it and going into the, uh, an
2: invisible world. Every planet in the universe is orbiting and doing what it does. But unless you make preparations for you get there, you're going to be unwelcome. There's also a hostile side to the universe. Y- you follow? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, like they just found water on Mars. For years and years they believed that there was no actual water. And what I'm saying is, if I was planning a trip to Mars I would have to prepare myself to go there and survive. And if we're not prepared, then we're on a hostile planet, okay?
4: All I really want to do is uh, right now is to get another planet uh, revolving again, and whenever I do get another planet going again, I want the headquarters to be in uh, Roswell. I want to do it in Los Angeles, and Skid Row, and I want to do it in New Orleans. Set up a geodesic dome for two or three or four or five or six.
0: Little Daddy is a current resident of Skid Row.
1: You got that 100% swag going anyway, right?
0: Richard Hackson was a musician at the Boyd Theater.
1: It was almost like a,
6: a mind creation.
0: Flame Simon was a frequent visitor to another planet.
7: Oh my God, he had so much stuff.
0: Tim Robbins is a movie star. But you want to put it in context? Yeah. Lonnie Johnson was a frequent visitor to another planet and has spent most of his life living in Skid Row.
2: I gotta say, man, it's a harsh work. <laughs>
0: Clyde Casey is a street performer.
4: That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life.
0: Clyde Casey is also the avant-garde.
3: That's it for Love and Radio. This episode is a co-production with The Organist Podcast from The Believer Magazine and KCRW. Check them out at kcrw.org slash believer. The show was produced by David Weinberg, Brendan Baker, and myself, Nick Vanderkolk. David's podcast is randomtape.com, and if radio producers were stocks, I'd be investing pretty heavily in David right now. You know
0: he's just going to use it to get high.
3: Thanks also to Austin Hines.
4: What I'm doing right now is I, um, I bend forks and I uh, crank them up a notch. make them into bracelets and I put little miniature hona harmonicas. Then I engrave inside of the forks some of my fork-related sayings. fork related sayings. sooth, I say, go forkward with forktitude and may the forks be with you.
7: <laughs>
4: it's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard in my life, you know.
3: Love and Radio is a part of Radiotopia, which is supported by the Knight Foundation and MailChimp, celebrating creativity, chaos, and teamwork. Radiotopia is a collective of the best story-driven, creative, cutting-edge radio shows in the universe. Check out all the other Radiotopia shows at radiotopia.fm. Thanks for listening. And um, shoot me an email if you feel inspired. It's contact at loveandradio.org.